This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Christmas, for those of you who celebrate this particular holiday, is right around the corner. And I do hope you've got your shopping done, at least my gift. And I'm pretty darn easy to please, so uh, not to worry too much. I'm Maureen McGrath. Good evening and welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, a show all about health. We go everywhere on this show, even beneath the sheets. So that is the cue to put the kids to bed so their tender ears are not tarnished by my talk. Tonight on the program, we have lots to cover from medical illnesses previously thought to be in your head to sexual health, the power of touch, why Xbox and Fortnite might not be the best choice for your kids this year from a technological perspective. Lots of great guests from social media expert Jesse Miller of Mediated Reality to author Steve Campbell, who's going to advise the guys on how to deal with marital issues and relationship problems and how to prep for your January breakup. <laughs> That's a little pessimistic. Another noise, nor another nurse joins in. Wendy Hall, professor at the University of British Columbia. She's a professor of nursing. Talks about health and happiness over the holidays. And if things are not that much fun anymore in the relationship, I've got some questions you can ask to inject a little playfulness into your love life. If you have any questions at all, the number to call is... One eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. That's one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Or email me, nursetalk at hotmail dot com. Andrew, how are you tonight? I'm okay. How oh. are you? Ah, uh, very well, thanks. I'm okay. A little health issue that struck over the holidays. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about that a little bit later on okay. in the program. <laughs> but the holidays uh, haven't even started yet, and you're already. Oh, it's kind of holidays. It's all sorts of parties. I got. A, I'll give you a little hint. I got a little ribbing at the party last night over my. <laughs> Injury. <laughs> little injury. Momo's had a little injury, but that's okay. Nothing a little morphine won't help. No. <laughs> little, <yeah>. <laughs> Not here on the show, of course. No. Um, little... We don't have an IV drip in the studio. No, we don't. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? Isn't that a good idea? That be... That's a bright light in an otherwise dark time. I know they might, I know they might use time. that to keep me here even longer. <laughs> that's excellent. They may not even have to pay us if they had that. <sighs> that would be fun. Don't know if I take morphine over a paycheck, but... This is true. Yeah. No, I wouldn't either. Definitely not. It depends on how, how bad the pain is. But anyway, That's I'm, true. I'm glad you're well prepping for the holidays. All set? Ah, about as set as I think I'm going to be. I still haven't then? started my Christmas shopping. So, oh, But I'm one of those people who every year I'm like, all right, November 1st, we're going to start now. Exactly. December 23rd. I'll do it tomorrow. Exactly. That's, well, no. I know. I, I've had a bit of an injury so the plans have gone they're not they haven't gone as planned let's say you still got a week and two days i do i do that's you still got time that's right anyway you don't realize just how much you use your arms Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um but you know what uh that's going to lead into our little health headline talk about it it's a little segue about it yeah exactly (laughs) and now maureen's health headline I thought this was an important thing to talk about uh, in my health headline because I had a, a patient and a colleague, actually, who uh, didn't realize, you know, we think of people who experience or have sustained a spinal cord injury, especially in, um, in, in a car accident, and you think the, the issue, the biggest issue is that they 
can't walk, and that would bother them the most. And in fact, you know, it's extremely bothersome, and it's very shocking, especially if it's a young man who has lost the ability to use his legs, um, ends up in a wheelchair. But that's not necessarily the biggest problems that those with spinal cord injury face. And some of the bigger issues are because you can actually overcome ambulation through a wheelchair or other assistive devices, uh, so you can still move around. But you can have problems with bladder health, so you may have difficulty emptying or storing urine. You may need a catheter or you may need a caregiver to use intermittent catheters on you to empty your bladder. You may have leakage of urine, incontinence at most embarrassing times. Um, And the other issue many people face is issues with bowel function. And so they may lose control over their bowel function. They may have to have a bowel program that can last, you know, two to five hours every other day. They may need caregiver assistance, medications uh, to help to uh, stay regular. Uh, so these these issues are extremely challenging for people with spinal cord injury and also sexual health um, may be an issue as well. And I was asked by a lawyer recently where I presented at the Trial Lawyers Association of British Columbia, and she said, um, is sex an activity of daily living? Because some of the legislation has changed, especially in British Columbia. And uh, so if you look at it and you look at, um, you know, sexual health is certainly an aspect of everyday wellness. And, you know, we don't necessarily wash our hair every day. We may do that two or three times a week. Um, You may have sex two or three times a week, and it certainly can help you feel close in your relationship. It can help with your mood. It can help with sleep. So certainly I feel that sex is an activity of daily living, but I will let the lawyers advance that argument uh, in the future. But another issue that many people with spinal cord injury, depending on the level of injury um, experience, is autonomic dysreflexia. And that can happen to men or women. It's a life-threatening condition that is the result of a spinal cord injury above the level of thoracic six. And it refers to a dangerous increase in blood pressure that occurs in response to a sensory stimulus that typically doesn't hurt, like a full bladder doesn't typically hurt, or a full rectum if you've been if you're constipated, or or a pinprick below the level of your spinal cord injury. The sensory stimulus doesn't need to be perceived to cause autonomic dysreflexia. And the big risk with autonomic dysreflexia is the risk of stroke. So dysreflexic means you're severely hypertensive. As I said, it can happen during bowel movements, during bladder, uh, full bladder, or urinary tract infections, and during sex. And the signs of autonomic dysreflexia include pounding headache, fast and slow heart rate, flushing, paleness, nasal congestion, nasal congestion, piloerection or goosebumps, blurred or tunnel vision, and or elevated blood pressure, which may lead to stroke and early death. Also, people with spinal cord injury may experience orthostatic hypotension, and that's the result of nerve damage from spinal cord injury. And that increases the risk of orthostatic hypotension. And individuals with spinal cord injury are at risk for this. And the symptoms are dizziness, lightheadedness, fainting, and hypotension. And uh, you know, you may actually have a fall as a result, um, you know, fall out of your wheelchair, and that can lead to a head injury or sprain or a fracture. And so OH occurs or orthostatic hypertension occurs when a person's systolic or diastolic blood pressure 
pressure falls by 20 millimeters of mercury when that person goes from a lying to an upright position. And so, for example, going from moving from the bed to the wheelchair. And it's due to delayed constriction of the lower blood vessels, which is required to maintain adequate blood pressure when changing position. So these are important quality of life issues that occur to patients who have spinal cord injury. And uh, so it's it's more than, than the walking, and these things are very important to them. Up next, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Abbas. We're going to be talking about some medical conditions that um, cost Canadians $20 billion a year. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Well, you're wondering what to buy your kids for Christmas. Jesse Miller is the founder of Mediated Reality, a social media education company based in Vancouver, British Columbia. He works with schools across Canada, supporting new media education. And he's also the co-host of the Kids Are All Right podcast, where topics like parenting, social media, and addressing emerging technology use by youth are the focus of each show. And that is what we are talking about with Jesse, who's on the line with me. We're talking about technology, Xbox, Fortnite, and all those other things. Should we get those, Jesse? Uh, it depends on how much you want your kids getting access to them and how you feel as a parent actually willing to jump into the pool with them and learn how to swim. Great answer. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, sometimes parents don't have control over this, um, uh, how much, or they don't exercise their control and the kids are using it all the time and their math grades may suffer as a result of, of uh, being online too much or playing Xbox too much. Well, there, there is that side of it. Uh, there's also the side of it where we see kids currently playing video games and getting offered scholarships to universities. Um, so there is, a, there is a, a two-pronged approach here. Any parent who's bringing technology into the home needs to be prepared to open up conversations about how the technology is going to be used uh, and then set those expectations with access. Uh, but you are correct. Not every home is going to run perfectly based on some set rules. So there has to be some flexibility for understanding where you look for the red flags. And if those red flags do come into play, like overuse or uh, grades start slipping or extracurriculars start uh, being less and less interesting, um, that's where some intervention is necessary. And so can kids actually get addicted to online games and um, to other technology? Well, first and foremost, I think the term addiction is extremely dangerous to use, especially when we judge how kids use these technologies. And I think we sometimes use that word uh, a little bit too flexibly in the sense that we we will have friends over and we'll talk about kids and, and how they're using them and say, oh, they're so addicted to that. And then we let them go on it for a pacification anyway. Um, what we are seeing is uh, World Health Organization and, and, uh, and oversight uh, uh, colleges are, are looking at how gaming uh, does have addictive uh, properties, and th- that is a concern as we see some people playing upwards to 8 to 15 to 20 hours a day without any sleep or any other movement. Um, in countries like South Korea, there have been laws that have been put into place to protect kids' access within certain times of day, and there have been some high-profile incidents where some people have uh, neglected their, uh, their, their own children and, and played too much. And so Sometimes we see the headlines and those go to the scary stories, but I think what parents need to be aware of is um, how are children using these technologies and where do you start to see those behavior changes like anything that's ever introduced to any other generation, uh, whether it's television in the 1980s um, or aspects of, uh, of narcotics or cigarettes. 
Uh, what does it mean for kids to be exposed to something and then giving them healthy tools? And and some of the, getting back to the addiction, I know it's a, a dangerous word, but, um, you know, it, when a child is uh, gaming quite a bit or, you know, um, their mood is affected or they're yelling at their siblings or their parents and you notice that they have an excessive use or they have to be uh, connected at all times, you know, do, would parents start to worry when they start to see personality changes or addictive behaviors in their child? Well, very much so. And, and what we do know is that we know the brain, whether it's a child or adult, uh, responds to technology much in the same way as it responds to other addictive substances. So within that, technology that offers rewards can over-release dopamine. And, and in that, just like gambling, when we see people sitting in front of a slot machine, there are aspects of getting to that next level. Um, but too much use of technology can stress the brain. And uh, the negative effects there uh, is that the brain gets used to that level of dopamine, and then the brain now wants more of it. And that's where you start to see those personality conflicts come in where parents say uh, ever since the Xbox came into the house they're not the same person anymore um, we could say the same thing with uh, overindulgence of, of any any form of media or stimuli so what we have to keep in mind here is that um, anything that we would ever introduce to our children we have to also look at our adult behaviors and how we demonstrate um, our own use of tech use so if you're an adult at work and you spend anywhere between five to six hours a day looking at a computer screen you're also juggling your own personal device and then you get home and you do all the things you do to run your personal life through your cell phone and then you finally put the kids to bed and you're watching Netflix for an hour and a half you as an adult can run 12 to 13 hours of screen time a day Um, so what we're looking for there is whether or not we know how to put it down whether we can set good leadership examples and then a child growing up in a home will also look for that guidance Right. And and it's easier to actually denote symptoms of addictive behavior in the pre-adolescent child, so ages 4 to 11, than adolescents because they're less secretive. Um, but it's, you know, some of the jobs of the future, like those in artificial intelligence, for example, you know, those are the kids that are going to get the scholarships to the universities because, you know, we we're communicating via text. Really, our language is changing. Um, technology is a part of our everyday life, turning on the TV, opening the front door, walking the dog practically. <laughs> um, it does everything for us and it will do more and more. And so is this part of life or or do you see dangers, and, and especially as it uh, relates to intimacy? Well, partially we've seen a massive we've seen a massive social shift in how we all communicate, and 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 it's, in the aspects of intimacy, um, I think you probably have listeners who can relate with the idea of sitting on a couch and, and watching a movie or a television show with a partner and feeling like they were the only one who watched the movie because the other person was on their phone. The reality within this is that there is a lot of fear mongering as it applies to the idea of the family dynamic being changed. But the reality is is that we actually are finding more time to be present um, in the sense of being able to participate by working from home or working from the events that we go to. The reality within that is we have to actually structure our own um, self-regulatories and saying, you know, I'm watching my kids play the sport they love to play. I'm not going to be on my phone in this moment. Um, when it comes down to a family movie night, that's where people should all be sharing one screen as opposed to everybody on individual screens because they don't care for the movie or the film. So the reality within how we approach the technology conversation has to be one of a family value. And the hard part there is that it is a very interesting conversation to open up, especially with peers and individuals that we share time with, 
because we don't necessarily ask the question, what does your kid do on the Internet or how do you structure this as a time and access within your home? So I do encourage parents to think more openly about opening up dialogues with peers and others in their network because you can also hear from them what they have actually experienced, especially if they have older children who have been a little bit more into the tech field than maybe a younger group of kids. Right. And I hear often parents will say, you know, their child never comes out from the basement, you know, just stay or stays up all night watching video games. What what would a parent do if their child does become addicted to a video game or online gaming? Well, there's there's a couple approaches here. So what we're seeing is we're seeing kids who are playing esports, and the esports phenomenon has very much grasped an entire generation of gamers um, who like to compete. And it is not only an economy that's huge, but there are avenues for um, uh, for really great experiences for kids. And we're seeing kids who traditionally wouldn't fit into a lot of sporting spaces with schools who are now being able to come together and play games like Fortnite together. Um, so that is a scholarship avenue. We are seeing a number of universities in Canada who actually offer scholarship space for those kids to compete playing video games and represent the universities, and they're still getting traditional degrees along the way. Um, the other part being is that if you are seeing a child who isn't actively engaged in their studies, who did play a po- uh, an extracurricular sport that could get them to post-secondary, if they were really engaged with their friends, but all of a sudden this video game came along and you're seeing the child sit for eight to ten hours and, and everything's going down the wayside, um, you have to look for those red flags before they become issues that you're being drawn to the school to deal with. Fantastic. So Fantastic information, Jesse. We got to go. Jesse Miller, a social media education company, uh, which is Mediated Reality. It's time for the Bedroom Bulletin. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show and my Bedroom Bulletin. Um, you know, has your relationship gotten a little bit boring? Well, there might be some questions that you might want to ask. Uh, and I'm going to tell you those questions. And some of these questions I'm actually going to answer um, that so to inject a little bit of fun into this show, too, um, because I've been to a few Christmas parties this season. And I, as I said, I was getting ribbed at one of them last night. But one recently um, we played Family Feud at the party. And that was awesome. There were like 100 people there, but they set up this whole Family Feud thing. And uh, so the first question to ask you are in your boring, dull relationship. This is if you are good at it, okay? <laughs> I don't know if you were listening to Steve Campbell, who is the author of Third and Long, but um, he basically said, you know, a lot of the troubles out there in relationships are that guys just aren't that good at it, okay? <laughs> Which I love, because they think they're so awesome sometimes. Like the guy who walked into the medical clinic yesterday, he was about four foot six. He had a Superman shirt on. He was four foot six tall and four foot six wide. He'd been to the gym and he wanted us all to know. And there were like 14 people waiting in the medical clinic and he decided to bust in to the, he wasn't going to wait. And the MOA, the medical office assistant was saying, you have to wait, there's 14 people online. No, he busted in and he knocked on the door where the doctor was seeing the patients. Anyway, um, and then I, I actually was there because I had dislocated my ribs. And um, so I was so upset with him. But anyhow, and, and he came in again because the doctor told him to come back an hour later. And by that time, I was finished and I was at the desk and I was gar- I was in between. Here I am with li- maybe fractured ribs, turned out to be dislocated. And I'm standing in between the MOA and that guy. And uh, I could have really gotten injured. But nonetheless, I thought, who does he think he is? Anyhow, I love human behavior. So this is going to be helpful. These questions in your relationship. Um, so what actor or actress would you play in a movie about your life? Okay, so I 
would play Lady Gaga, which is who I played the other night at Family Feud. And because uh, you had to be a character. So I have no problem with that. And who would play your love interest? And that would be um, uh, Bradley Cooper, of course. And if you had to go a week without your phone, what would you miss the most about it? The emails from you. <laughs> that I get in the middle of the day that just delight me. Um, Have you ever laughed so hard you peed your pants? Yes, I was in Montreal, and I was with these two physicians that I work with, and they they are both hilarious. One is a GP, and the other was a psychiatrist. And so they were drinking all night long, and, and we were laughing so hard. I was having such a great time. I never wanted to go to the bathroom. But one of them said, you should check out the bathroom in this restaurant in Old Montreal. And I went in to the bathroom after consuming, you know, uh, I had to go to the bathroom so badly. Anyhow, I won't tell you all that I consumed, but nonetheless, I went down there and then one of the doctors actually opened the ladies room door and he started singing an opera song and I just lost it. So yes, I have peed my pants. Um, But if I did leak urine, I would get treatment because leaking urine is never normal. So these are questions, keep in mind, this is my bedroom bulletin and these are questions to ask your partner, your lover, your wife, your husband, uh, to inject a little fun into your relationship. If you woke up tomorrow as the opposite sex, what would be the top three things you'd do? Well, the number one thing I would do is renegotiate all of my contracts as a man. (laughs) I would get probably increased by 30, 40% my income, I think. Um, Would you rather endure childbirth or wear high heels for the entire day? Since I have delivered a 12-pound baby, I have absolutely no problem wearing high heels (laughs) for a whole day. In fact, I love it. Um, What was your first impression of me? Well, only you can answer that for me. Would you rather use whipped cream or hot fudge? Can I say both? What do you think is your best physical feature? Uh, Nothing. (laughs) What do you think is my best physical feature? Care not to answer that either. Um, And what other questions? If you could be on any... I didn't say I was going to answer all of these questions. If you could be on any reality TV show, which one would it be? Um, I should know the answer to that one. I actually think the doctor's office yesterday should have been a reality show. The doctor walked in on to see me. He had a sandwich in his hand, okay? Uh, what has the world come to? He's eating a pastrami sandwich. <laughs> anyway, have you ever obsessed over anything? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what. Um, if I handed you $1,000 right now, what would you do with it? I would probably give it away. I would donate it to a good cause. What were your nicknames growing up, including the ones you didn't want to stick. Well, I've had my nicknames are Momo and Bowie. Um, did you check me out when I walk away? Or do you check me out when I walk away? If I let you dress me, what would I wear on our next date? Would you ever role play in bed? Yoga pants or skirts? Skirts? What is the most? No, yoga pants. Yeah. Dresses or yoga pants? Dresses. Okay. But yoga pants are good too. Never skirts. What is the most sensitive part of your body? Well, That's, I'm going to keep to myself. What is the most sensitive part of my body? Do you think you're a good kisser? Um, (laughs) Have you seen my lips? (laughs) Uh, They are gigantic. (laughs) Not really. Kind of. Yeah, they are. Um, Communication is key. But anyway, that's another story. Is there a memory you have of me that always makes you laugh? Anyway, those are some questions that you might want to ask your partner to inject a little bit or, you know, inject a little fun, a little playfulness, set a reset button. 
um, you know, there's nothing better than laughing. If you cannot laugh in your relationship, well, you know, then that's your problem. But the most important aspect is that you actually have to laugh at yourself. The ability to laugh at yourself, there's nothing like it. I mean, even yesterday when I was in the clinic, uh, when I was in the clinic, I, um, uh, the doctor that I, I probably seen him in like three times in the last five years. And, uh, he said to me, he didn't even ask me what was wrong with me. He just said, Oh dear, ptosis, <laughs> P-T-O-S-I-S, which is drooping of the eyelid. And I have to say once again, no, I don't have ptosis. And he wrote it down as the diagnosis. I said, that's just me. Like one of my eyes is just a little bit cocked. Um, but anyway, you have to laugh at that. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.